continuing on. So as we've said, the Lord wants to direct us, our spirit, into the love of God and into steadfastness of Christ. But the foundation of all human love is often the will, the emotions, and feelings, and moods. All those things, if they're not built on what God says the main purpose is, it's in vain. It don't move God in the least. It's to keep his commandments. So let's go to 1 John 5 and verse 3. Very simple. For this is the love of God. He's making it very plain. This is the love of God. What? That we keep his commandments. I mean, there's no way around this. John's very practical. So if you don't love God, you don't have eternal life. You don't keep his commandments and be led of the Spirit and follow Christ, you're not a Christian. I love the book of John because Paul, he deals a lot with grace and faith, and we need that. But John deals with practicality. He only mentions faith once in a Bible sentence. He doesn't use the word grace at all, but he'll give you seven or eight reasons or how you can tell if you're a Christian. And one of them is that, do you keep his commandments? If you hate your fellow Christian and won't forgive him, then he said, you're a murderer, and you know you don't have eternal life. But he named several things, and if you don't do those, he says, then you're not saved. That's basically what he's saying. You're not a Christian. He makes it practical. Well, Paul can deal with theology and practicality. John speaks in practicality. Do this, do that, don't. This will tell. He's not looking into when you were born again or did Jesus appear to you yesterday. That's irrelevant. If you don't love the brethren, he names seven or eight things. And if you fail at them, you're not a real Christian if you continue in that lifestyle. Okay, he makes it plain. Okay, now let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. By this we know that we love him or we know him. If we keep his commandments, the same thing. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So you can see when the multitudes of professing Christians are standing for the Lord, and they say, Lord, Lord, he says, I never knew you. They're going to be horrified. They believed he died on the cross and resurrected. They believed and confessed Jesus as Lord but they didn't follow him. They were not born again. The spirit was not leading them. They lived their own lives, but they had some religion. And he said, I never knew you. You never loved me. You never kept the truth. Yet most of the two billion are going to claim they'll be Christians. And they're saying, Lord, Lord, they recognize who he is. Well, It's not saving faith, okay? A lot of people believe, oh, if you just believe he's Jesus. Well, the devils believe that, and it doesn't save them, now does it? So if one practices gross sin and does not follow his words, uh, their moods and feelings and emotions and their tears mean nothing to God. And so my boss of 40 years ago, he was living in adultery, and he told everybody, And then he told me, because he knew I was a Christian, well, I still love God. I'm just not doing to it. I said, you don't, because the scripture says you're a liar and the truth's not in you. See, he was equating feeling and moods of God 
but he's in gross sin and adultery. And so he doesn't love God. He's not keeping his word. That's why Paul said, now look, if you practice these things, he said, you will not inherit heaven. Why? Because you're not a Christian. So a person who lives in gross sin and dies in that and claims to be a Christian, he's not going to make it. Okay? And so people want to know, how far can I go? What, what can I? That shows a wicked heart. See, they don't want to be judged. They want to do as the least they can and be saved. Well, they're not going to be saved because you don't do that by choice, okay? It reveals your heart, okay? So may the Lord direct you in his steadfastness, perseverance, without perseverance, patience, faithfulness, and loyalty, then you do not love God in Christ. See, they go together. You have to endure. You have to persevere in the word of God. It said we must keep his commandments And he said, and they're not grievous. For the Christian, the commandments are not grievous that he gives. Now, sometimes it's grief and resisting the devil. Now, Jesus makes a statement. He said, very few are going to make it. The way is narrow and hard, but it's because they don't overcome the sin and they entertain it. They have a rough life. The double-minded person, James says, will not get anything from the Lord. So they can pray and ask for help, but as long as they're up and down and back and forth, they don't get nothing from the Lord. He don't respond to this, okay? And so moving on, so he says, now we command you, so he's going to give you apostolic commands, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the traditions that you receive from us. The Bible only uses a few times. Usually when he speaks of traditions, Jesus talked about traditions of the Pharisees. He said, you lay aside the word of God for your own tradition. How can you escape the damnation of hell? He was saying, you can't. You make up your, a lot of denominations make up what they think is important. And it's not that important to God. They emphasize one or two scriptures. They don't give the whole counsel of God. And so God can't be blessing them. The Holy Spirit cannot guide their pastors and elders if they lay aside God's word for their own book of order and their own traditions. He don't recognize this. Oh, you may have Christians in those denominations, but denomination is not a lampstand, okay? We're going to see that. God uh, could care less. He has one church and one body, okay? So he's saying we're teaching you this command to stay away from, separate it means, avoid everyone who is a Christian who leads and practices unchrist-like life and acts like the world. That's what he means by being unruly and not according to what you've been taught to be as a godly Christian. So even Paul warned the heretics, he said you warn them. He says, you want a heretic two or three times. That means he's teaching false teaching. He's adding or taking something, and he's claiming to be a teacher. He said, after two or three warnings, he said, you have nothing to do with him. That means you treat him as a heathen. He's not to be a part of your fellowship. The church is not to, with all these, uh, they say all the church is for sinners. No, it's not. 
It's only for saints and those following the Lord. They can come in and listen, but they don't have no part. And people who sit there and they're known murderers and liars, they're not welcome. If they don't repent, they're put out just like a professing Christian is. Of course, they don't do this today. Now, we accept everybody, child molesters, homosexuals, bestiality, murderers. God loves everybody. Well, it's a lie. They've exaggerated because if they don't turn to the Lord and follow him, it says God's wrath abides on them. God's wrath is still on them if they've not submitted to Christ and follow him. He's storing up judgment. And the true body of Christ should not tolerate these people. They should be put out. They're not supposed to be a part of the fellowship when they're blatant sinners. The true body of Christ was for believers. It was not for sinners, okay? So that's another big misconception. And just to throw in, People always talk about the love of God. Psalms, and it still applies. God hates, he said, my soul hates the violent man. I abhor him. He doesn't love him. He started out loving, but he has no goodwill toward him. See, the love of God is goodwill and benevolence. But people persist in their evil and extreme forms. He may not have goodwill for them anymore. He can harden them and not show grace. He don't love them in the way they think. See, that's a misconception. He loves them generally. All of mankind is sinner. He died for them. But if they continue and they reject the gospel, he does not. Finally, he abhorred King Saul. He didn't love him anymore. And God's wrath was on him. And Jesus said it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. I'm the Lord that changes not. So people need to clarify where the limit is and what God does and doesn't do. So he doesn't love the serial killer. He doesn't love the uh, the dictator that butchers people. No, he doesn't. His hatred and wrath is upon them. As long as they live, grace could be given, but you rarely ever see anything. You rarely ever see a false teacher come to the Lord because they borderline, they blaspheme the spirit, and they lead other people to hell. Read, you don't see many. When God called prophets and priests under the Old Testament, you won't find one practicing wicked person that he called. And that's interesting. He didn't. He called people who tried to be righteous and live morally and keep the law to some degree. But he didn't make a prophet out of a murderer. He didn't do it. They would have had to repent it and be living a holy life. Then he called people. Study them. You won't find one, okay? It's because we have such false teaching out there about God and holiness. So if it don't mean any, if you don't live holy life, people say, well, I don't want to be a fanatic. I said, well, you won't make it to heaven. A fanatic is a fan. I don't want to be real religious. I said, well, you won't make it to heaven. You're a coward. If you're ashamed of the Lord, he said, I'll be ashamed of you. You have to be. And the world's going to hate you for that. That's what Jesus said. You be, you be a do-gooder and too religious, and not, people don't like you. Well, you'd expect that from the world. But if the world loves you, it means you're part of them. Okay? I don't know why I got it on that, but let's go on. Okay. So we see then people who live like the world, he wanted them to straighten up and say, if they claim to be Christian, don't put up with it. So one not living godly in a pure life 
in holiness, then they're not a Christian. Plain and simple. Today, they like to split hairs and lines and uh, uh, said they're just twisting the word of God. Peter said they were twisting Paul's writings to their own destruction. He said, as they do all scripture. Peter validates and says, Paul writes scripture. His epistles are scripture. So that nullifies a lot too. And it's interesting that Paul tells us that the half-brother Jesus, James, not the apostle, but the half-brother, when he came to the Lord during the 40 day after the resurrection, he tells us he's an apostle. He's the only one who tells us that James is an apostle. And people think James and Peter are conflicting and fighting with each other. Uh-uh, that's not true, okay? Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. We acted as true Christians. We didn't take advantage of you by coveting or tried to use you or get things from you. See, because when we first came to you, you were sinners and you were baby Christians, and we didn't take our rights which later on, when you become established church, there are certain privileges we have, and you have to support us at some degree, or you fail scripture. It's your duty to support the overseer and the teacher, that that's his main profession, if you want to call it that. It says you support those. They feed you spiritually, and you take care of them. That's what he was simply saying, okay? But they were having a lot of people abusing this, okay? So we were examples. We didn't take advantage of you by coveting and speak of money. We didn't honor ourselves to get glory and be praised like the Judaizers and the Pharisees liked the attention, their claim of the world. That was the pride of life, which John says, if you have that, the love of God is not in you. Well, if the love of God's not in you, you're not going to make it to heaven. Okay, verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. So they didn't sponge off people, especially beginners and sinners. When people preach the gospel, evangelize, they shouldn't be mentioning money to them. You can mention money to the body of Christ if they need it. You can take off, because the Christian is supposed to show hospitality. He's supposed to support those who feed him if they don't have other jobs. And a lot of times, Peter said they wanted him to do deacon's work. And the apostles pointed seven and said, it's not right that we leave the word of God to serve tables. People think, oh, he was proud. No, he was an apostle. His main job was to teach and pray and expound on the word of God. He said, we can get deacons to do the practical stuff. And that's what they did, okay? So sometimes it's not right to make pastors and we want them to do everything. And the denominations, they got to visit the sick. They got to do this. One man wasn't called to do that. It's not scriptural. Okay. There were several teachers and overseers. You know, in a small home group, they may only had one or two, but it wasn't based on the systems we have today. We think, well, uh, we pay them to do all that. Well, your faults and you're a false Christian if you think you're going to get away with it. Okay, let's go on. So we didn't eat anybody's food without paying for it. We labored night and day at times. We worked so that we would not be a burden to any of you. They didn't want, in the beginning, 
the centers they're trying to convert to think all they talk about is money. They just want something from us, like a lot of the Pharisees and the Judaizers did. They were after gain. They made merchandise of people. And so we were warned against that too. Okay. And verse eight, so he says, the church later, when it was matured and growing and appointed L, then they understood we have to support the true traveling evangelists or the Christian under persecution that comes into the area. We must help them and feed them and get them established. But they didn't want busybodies and moochers that was using the name of the Lord or they were misguided to think everybody was supposed to support them because they were Christians. That wasn't the way it was to be. Okay, in verse 9, not because we do not have the right to do this. So under wisdom, the apostle could have explained to them in a few days, the ones that were converted, Peter and the other apostles, they take their wives with them, and wherever they go, the local churches feed them and put them up and take care of them. He said, that's their right as an apostle or as a traveling evangelist. So he'd say, as you mature, you'll understand who and you support, who to give to, who to show hospitality to, and things like that. But we wanted to be a model for you so that you would follow our example. Verse 10 and 11. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, neither is he to be fed. He's not to eat. He makes it plain. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting as busybodies. Now, they were claiming to be converted and come to the Lord. And some of them knew what they were doing, and some of them were just stupid. Some people are stupid. And they have to be enlightened and reproved and corrected. They assume things that are not true. Okay? So that can happen with the baby Christian. And so he says, if one is not willing to work, then he is not to be given food. Now, he ain't talking about helping the poor uh, people in need. He's talking about those who claim to be Christians and they can work and do things, but they run from house to house, being a busybody, talking, gossiping. And they expect wherever they go to someone to feed them. I mean, what a life, you know what I mean? Uh, the mamuchers, okay? And that's what he's talking about. He said, among your own, busybodies, lazy, going about expecting something that they have no right for. I mean, even the early church, they told true Christians, if, if your relatives are poor and destitute, you take care of them. Don't you bring them to the church and expect the church to take care of them. You take care of them. Let the church not be burdened with them. So if they were Christians they were talking about, they would be treated differently. So they were to watch out also from so-called traveling evangelists and teachers. They were false often. They were unsound gospels they were preaching. And they were merchandising the Christians. Paul warned about this. They will take advantage of baby Christians and immature ones that, oh, I have to do this, you know, and they don't have to do this thing. You shut the door on them. I mean, even, even John makes it plain. If a traveling evangelist comes around and he doesn't recognize Christ and who he is, he says, you don't support him. You don't give him hospitality. And you don't even say, God bless you. Don't you ever say, God bless you to 
wicked heretics. John says you'll partake of their evil. You just say, go your way. He said, lest you be partakers of their evil. You don't want to be partakers of their false doctrine. You don't feed them and you don't give them hospitality. You reject them. Well, nowadays people think, oh, we have to put up with everybody. Well, that's because you don't know Christianity and most Christianity is false and misunderstood. And that's why most of them are going to say, Lord, Lord, and be cast into the lake of fire. And they're going to be many, many professing Christians that are going to be in that category. Okay. But 13, but as you know, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. You have to do good, be faithful, keep doing good, giving, helping. Even if someone cons you or makes a mistake, then God looks at the intention. You don't purposely give money to people you know they want drugs, they're using it for drugs. If you purposely know that, you don't give it to them. But you can give to anybody. God said he is good to the evil and unthankful. You can feed them occasionally, give them, talk about the sinner and the death. You can show mercy, but you're not obligated to take them under your wing or bring, if they're not repenting, if they're not changing, you're not obligated to do this. And you need the wisdom of the Lord at times to know the difference, okay? So what is he saying? Do good, help people, be kind in words and deeds. God sees all that is done in his name, and even the least cup of water given to help other Christians, or even needy people that we can show mercy as God does. If he can be good to the evil and unthankful, we can occasionally do that as a witness or just to show mercy. Well, God sees all of this if it's done in his name and the right mode before him, okay? And he will reward it at the resurrection. Not into the prosperity mode, but that you're going to get a hundredfold here. Not on everything. And the hundredfold don't mean things and money. He said, you help people that cannot repay you. And he said, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So that shows you're not getting all of it here. You're getting very little of it here because you would have no rewards. So God's keeping records. And every idle word that a wicked person speaks the day of judgment, he's going to be punished for. So justice rewards righteousness. So if you're in Christ, everything you do in his name, your ministry, your works, God rewards you. It's his nature to do this, to reward the righteous in Christ and punish the evildoer. He's going to do that. Well, let's read that scripture, Hebrews. Oh, I hear people say, well, I'm not looking for reward. I said, well, then you're a fool and you insult God. I said, because you're going to get it one way or the other if you did it in the right spirit. Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust. It would be considered unjust of God to forget your work and your labor of love or your love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the Christian, the saints, and do minister. See, mainly to the other brethren. When God judges the nations, the goats and the sheep, it's going to be according to what you did or didn't do to the Christian. That's going to be the main judgment. So he's saying God doesn't forget this. He's not unjust. He's going to remember these things. And one day he will reward these things. So 
We don't have to keep a record in a book for the Lord. He keeps the records. He can keep them. He don't miss anything. But we, as the days and years go on, we forget all the wicked things and righteous things we did. We don't have that kind of memory. But he does, okay? And he understands. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey our teaching, our instruction, that's what teaching and exhortation is, in this epistle, this letter, take special note, single that person out, and do not associate with him. Don't matter if he claims to be a Christian, so that he will be put to shame. Say, he may be a baby Christian, a misguided. You may not have to treat him as a heathen, but you separate to let him know something's wrong. I have to back up now because you're not doing what the scripture says. And either you're misguided or you've got some false teaching or the devil's tempted you. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You rebuke him. Jesus said, if your brother sin against you, rebuke him. And if he asks forgiveness, you forgive him. You're not required to forgive automatically if they do not confess and deal with their sins. A lot of people think we have to give the murderer. There's no scripture that says that. You leave that. It said, give place to wrath. God will avenge one day. So we can't forgive what God has not forgiven. We forgive a true Christian that asks forgiveness. We're required to forgive them. And if we don't, Christ doesn't recognize them, and they're not part of the fellowship. He says you're a murderer if you hate your brother without a cause. The Christian brother, not the brotherhood of mankind. See, that's why they twist scripture and say, oh, I got to forgive him, even though he raped and murdered my daughter. I still, no, you don't. Scripture doesn't say you have to forgive him. You don't have to do anything. You lay it aside and say, I'm God's servant and bond servant. He'll take care of it at proper time. It says, give place to wrath. I will avenge. What is he telling you? I'm going to take care of it. I didn't ask you to forgive him. I told you I'll take care of it at the day of judgment. Okay. Now we'll finish. May the Lord of peace continually, himself continually, grant you peace in every circumstance. If we do not have peace, it means there's either double-minded or disobedience or we're not doing what we know the Lord's telling us. I'm not talking about guesswork. The devil will play havoc on your conscience if you listen to every thought that comes to your head. But when you know something's of the Lord and you're not doing it, you're going to lose peace. If you're in practicing a sin and you know it's wrong, you're not going to have peace with it because the kingdom of God is peace, righteousness, and joy. You cannot have peace without having righteousness, okay? So a lot of people want peace and joy and they want to live like the devil. Well, it don't happen. The devil gives false peace and he can give happiness. That's just when life goes your way and you don't have no problems, you're happy. Well, a Christian, that don't happen. That's up and down. He may not have happy in this world. God's interest is more in his holiness. Uh -huh. But he can have joy in all situations. As much as Paul was persecuted, he's always saying rejoice. And I gotta say rejoice because it depends on the Lord, not the outward world or circumstances. Happiness depends on if you get what you want and you find your life. And Jesus said, if you find your life, and that means you'll be happy, you lose it eternally. 
But most false Christianity, they want a false peace and a false joy, which is happening. But they don't have righteousness, so they don't have the genuine goods anyway. So we need to understand that. Now may the Lord of peace himself grant you peace in every circumstance, and the Lord be with you all. He's talking about the Christian church, the body of Christ. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. I didn't dictate it. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. He wants to understand. And if he let somebody write something, it was understood he was telling them to do it. There was no mystery about it. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Uh, Let's finish, Lord. In Jesus' name, give us wisdom and practicality. Help us to understand the kingdom of God in practicality. In Jesus' name, amen.